he talks about how we as human beings, how we literally run wrong. And he talks about how the shoes that we have, I don't have running shoes on, but the running shoes that we have, they have all this cushion and all this wonderful support. And he talks about how that has a deleterious negative effect on us where it actually hurts our bodies. You would think, right, the more padding and cushioning that you have in your running shoes, that it actually helps you. No, it's the exact opposite. And in this book, he talks about how we need to train and how we as human beings can run differently if we don't run on the arches and the heels of our feet, if we run on our front pads. And he, he brings up, the whole book is about these people in, in Mexico, this Native American tribe, the Tarahumara, and this tribe of Native Americans, he references them in that they are incredible. They're superhuman beings. What is a, let's see, what is a marathon? How long is the distance? 26.2? 26.2 miles. The individuals in this Native American tribe that he is referring to, that he's studying, you know how long they run? They do ultra marathons where they run eclipses of 50 and 100 miles without stopping. They just keep going. He talks about one guy in the book. You know how many miles the guy ran? 435 miles. Steroids. No steroids. All natural. Fascinating when you read the book and look at these individuals. They went here. You want to see a picture? This is a picture of one of the guys. I know you can't. So there weren't many pictures online that I could grab that were great, but they have these sandal-like shoes. They don't have the sneakers that we wear, and they're able to run these great distances. They train their kids from the time that they're really young how to run properly. Jameson, if you can hear me, your father is going to make you wear very weird shoes. Anybody you see those finger shoes that are out there? That's from this guy's book. And what is wild about the whole running industry and really this man's book is there was a track coach. There's one poignant scene in the book for me, and there's a track coach, a well-known track coach, and he is there watching this group of individuals, these Native American runners, where two of them are involved in this 100-mile ultra-marathon. And he's watching them climb. They're traversing this really difficult hill. And as they're climbing up it, it really stood out to me. The guy said he could not believe the joy and passion with which they ran. You see, deeply intrinsic in their mindset they understand that they were born to run. Did you hear what I said? They know it's innate inside of them that running is not a means to an end. When I go to the gym, running is a means to an end. I'm just doing it to kind of stay in shape. I do three miles. I feel like I conquered the world when I go off the treadmill. I read the book and then I feel really bad about myself. These guys just run because they absolutely love it. It's all they can do. It's all they really know. So the guy said their joy and passion with which they run was absolutely incredible. They're laughing and they're churning up the slope like kids playing in a, you know, in a, with snow out on the ground. Like they're making snowmen. They're just having so much fun. They're frolicking in the snow. That's the same thing. That's what it looks like when these guys run. And I don't know about you, but when I hear of stories like that, like, that kind of passion, I don't, I don't have that in me to train like that. But I'll admire people that are that wholehearted. There is no indifference in those individuals. 
You watch today. I wanted to come in today with the, with the, the uh, war paint on. You're going to watch Ray Lewis today in the Super Bowl. Whether you like him or not, he's, a, he's been much maligned over the last couple of years for different reasons. The guy's a Christian. The guy's a real deal. There is no more impassioned player in the NFL. He comes out, and he is an amazing leader, and he has his war paint on, and he rallies his troops. We as people, we don't like individuals that are indifferent. We don't. We like people that are passionate. There has never been a song written by a man about a girl that, hey, baby, she's all right. She's all right. There has never been a two-hour romance. You were surprised by that. You didn't know I had it in me. That's right. There has never been a two-hour romantic comedy about a guy that thinks a girl is just okay. Oh, that was a good movie. Yeah, I guess he kind of liked the girl. No, Hollywood knows. They give us the Titanic movies, and oh, Jack. And everybody falls in love, and everybody is head over heels. Is there really anywhere in life that we don't like people that are totally passionate, people that are totally all in? That's who we are. That's what we were created for. That's what you were created for, to live with passion. And I look at the scriptures, <laughs> look at some of these Bible characters. Let me just give you a few examples. Because somewhere along the line, we have read certain verses, we have looked at different stories, and we're kind of like, yeah, we sing about them on Sunday. They're pretty good, not bad. We don't really see the passion that is there, that is imbued in this text. Look at, look at Psalm. Let's start with Psalm 42. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Just look at this, a well-known passage. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? You know what we do with this verse? This is what we do. I'll be totally honest with you. This is what we do. We take this verse and we put it on t-shirts and we have the nice big buck. There he is. Wow, that's a pretty deer. And we have it, you know, whether it's on the front, on the back, a nice cursive. Uh, and then we sing that song. I remember as a kid, please don't sing that song again. As the deer panteth for the water. And I think, you know, I'm thinking about it all week and I'm saying to myself, that song is just not right. We have to kill that song. And, and the reason why we have to kill that song, it's not sung the right way. This is a person that is in agony. The writer is talking about an animal that is dying, gasping for its last breath, looking and searching and longing for water. They're longing and searching for something they once had, and they'll give up anything to get it. It's not a t shirt. Tell these companies, what are you thinking? It's not reality. That's not what the author is intending for us to see and hear. But there is an individual here that has a relationship with inside. There is angst. This person is agonizing over the fact that they once touched God in a certain way. And they're trying desperately to find him again. How about, how about David? Look at this one. Look at this one. Psalm 63, 1 through 4. God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Let me stop right there. This is the New American Standard Version. 
I love this version because the word yearn, some of the other versions, maybe the NIV, the New King James, they use longing. To long for something is to desire it. But to yearn for something is to say, I will give anything, even my life, to have that. That's what he's saying here. My soul, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Look at some of the language. Really, please see this today. Lord, I even, I'm going to stop right. Lord, Lord, as your speaker speaks and delivers this message, Lord, that you've put on my heart. Lord, I ask that you would do something supernaturally in the hearts and minds of everybody in this room as they sang that new song today about a fire. Lord, I ask like a 1906 Azusa Street fire that would hit this place, that everybody would see it. Spirit of the living God, I ask that you would invade. I ask that you would take over hearts, Lord, where there is half-heartedness, where there is half-stepping, that you would change us from the inside out, that we would want more of you, more of your power, more of your glory, more of your passion. That's what I want for you. What a ba- I am here this what a battle to get on my feet this morning. Now I know, now I get it. Now I understand the battle, not fun for the people living near me and with me. Really, but I get it. You know, there are certain emotions and behaviors as I'm reading just the Bible this week. And I look at somebody like David in this text and I say, this goes way beyond friendship. Really, how do you really categorize? Guys, we don't talk like this to each other, right? Do, do we talk like this to each other? I mean, some of my buddies, and we don't talk like this. We t- hey, how's it going? Yeah, things are pretty good. Things are all right. Hey, did you watch the Super Bowl? We don't use, my soul is dry. My soul, no. We don't talk like that. This is not friendship. This is more than that. Do you see that in this text? You must understand that there's something else going on. How about, I won't even ask you to turn there, because many of you probably don't know where it is. I'm not, listen, I'm not, you know, disparaging anybody, but I get it, right? Okay. It is a hard book to find, very difficult to, to find and pronounce. Well, Habakkuk 3, 17, 19, I love this. Hind's feet, high places. Though the fig tree should not, good for me? What does that mean? Oh, thank you. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. Here is the prophet Habakkuk. What is he saying? He is saying, listen, if I have a lot of food, Cool, I have God. Great. If I have no food, cool, I still have God. If I'm rich, cool, I have God. If I'm poor, cool, I have God. All that matters is that I have God. That's all that I want. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter where I am on this, in this world. It doesn't matter if I'm in prison. It doesn't matter if I'm in Hades. As long as I have God, I have what I need. Did I tell you I have a question this morning? Did I say that yet? Because I have a question that's burning inside my soul and I have to get out. Because I'm wondering if you, if there are other people in this congregation that have that same question burning inside of them. 
and I would like to discuss it. But again, I, I can't give you the question yet. How about in the New Testament? Look at the Apostle Paul. I promise, I'm not going to go crazy, but I'm jumping around. Look at, look at what the Apostle Paul says in 3, verses 8 and 9. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God my faith. Here is another individual, excuse me, here is another individual who is so wholehearted. And he says, you know what? You know what he's saying in this text? I pay attention to anything in my life that will distract me from my main goal, and that is knowing him. I don't look at things and look at my actions. Is this really right or is this wrong? No, no, no. I look at everything through the lens of, is this something that will bring me closer to God? Is this something that is going to help me run harder after Jesus Christ, my Lord? That's all he really cares about. We heard two weeks ago, Naeem's great sermon, coming to death's door, and we heard this story about Ananias, and he comes there, and he comes to Paul. Paul was Phi Beta Pharisee. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He is the major person in the church that is going after all of the Christians. And then he has this encounter, and God takes him, and then he's somebody who is relentless in his pursuit of Jesus Christ. He is so passionate about chasing after him. He doesn't matter what it is, where he has to go. What about in verse 10? Then look at this, look at this. This is what's comical. This is comical. Okay? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Put the brakes on for a second. Did you see what he says in verse 10? That I may know him. This is the apostle Paul. He goes into a city and changes the socioeconomic landscape of that city. Eight, um, uh, handkerchiefs that are passed out that were touched and prayed over by him. People are getting healed. People that were involved in evil stuff in that city, what do they do? Because of his message, they start a riot. There are riots around. People are so captivated by his message. Now, I have to tell you, I've been preaching for 12 years. I have yet to preach a message and people go out and there's rioting in the streets. Now, it would be kind of cool if after like today's message, just throwing this out there, maybe somebody went out there and said, you know what, I'm going to like throw, toss a car over and like, no, no, don't do that. But you know the point. Look at this, that I may know him. Paul, you are greedy. If I could only have 50% of what you had, I would be happy. I would be satisfied. There is a Apostle Paul's heart, because what he, what he experienced one day is not enough for the next day. It is not enough. He wakes up the next day and says, that which I experienced, yes, oh, I'm sorry, I need more of you. I want to know you in a greater way. Did I tell you I have a question? Did I tell you I have a question that's burning in my soul? I hope you're seeing it start to come into focus. But you know what? Let's move out of the Bible now. How about, how about people from history that you've heard about? Heard about? Let's start with uh, St. Augustine or St. Augustine, depending on, on whether you, know, you went to seminary. Like, I have a good story. You want me to tell you this? This is funny. I was in a class in Virginia. 
a conversation with somebody. And I said, listen, this is, I don't even know how many years ago. And I said, I referenced talking to somebody, St. Augustine. It was a guy that was much older than me. You mean St. Augustine? Really? Really? Like it really makes, it's really, it's, it's Augustine, by the way. Okay. But does it really make a difference? You don't care. Anyway, look at what he says. Really, look at what he says. Just, just read these words. St. Augustine, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. Okay, this man, stop, stop right there. This man, what he experienced when it came to having money, had as much as you could want. Sex, the guy got around, played the field. He had everything that the world tells us you could possibly want. This is not a man that didn't experience all this stuff. He's experienced everything. I should have prefaced it by saying, I'm telling you that. Okay, you drove them from me, you who are the true and sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place, you who are sweeter than all pleasures. Notice he's not saying suffering. He's saying the best of the best. The best things that the world has to offer, you are better. Though not to flesh and blood, you outshine all light, yet are hidden deeper than any of the secrets in our heart. You who surpass all honor, though not in the eyes of men who see all honor themselves. O Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, my salvation, you who are sweeter than all pleasures. How about the next one? Here you go. Here's another one for you. Martin Luther. Oh, I wish to devote my mouth and my heart to you. Do not forsake me, for if ever I should be on my own, I would easily wreck it all. So people that knew God, what's the next one I had there? This one was good too. I wrote George Whitfield, one of the fathers of the first great awakening in American society. He said of the book Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Outside of the Bible, the most widely read book in the world, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. And this is what he said of John Bunyan's. You really need to read it at some point in your lives. He said, Um, He said when he read it, he said the book smelled of lust and prison. Interesting, Mr. Whitfield, because John Bunyan actually wrote the book while he was in a prison. Had a a child, I mean, the guy's life, the suffering that the man endured was incredible. Has a child who's handicapped, has a wife who has no income, no money, and here is this man in prison. You have to understand that when you read the book and you see the power and you see the longing and you see the desire, the passion for God in this man, incredible, off the charts. How about another one? How about Charles Spurgeon? I thank thee that this, which is a necessity of my new life, is also its greatest delight. So I do at this hour feast on thee. Wow. But here's my favorite. This is the one that blows my mind because there are no categories for this one. How many of you have read The Practice of the Presence of God? Brother Lawrence, another book. Top five most widely read books in the history of the world. He is a 17th century monk uneducated, a house servant. You know how he's converted? Looking at a tree. Ah, look at that tree. I guess God is real. Really? I mean, talk about amazing ways that, ways that God opens up and reveals who he is. That's how the guy's converted. He is a, he's in a, basically in a kitchen. He's working. He didn't really write the book. These are like journal entries. Other people, after he died, they took his journal entries, and they published this book. But this is the line. When I read this line, I took the book and I threw it because I didn't know what to do with it. It doesn't make sense to me. 
I have at times had such delicious thoughts on the Lord, I am ashamed to mention them. I look at some of your faces and you're confused. Good, because I am confused still when I read this. There is a level of intimacy. Why am I bringing this up? Because there is a level of intimacy that these men had with God. And women, I, could, I mean, you name it, through the ages, men and women that they've had with God. How do you really categorize this? Incredible, the level of intimacy that this man experienced with God. Incredible. Did I tell you yet I have a question that I would like to ask you? That is burning within my soul and I need an answer. But let's move away from the longing and desire of human beings. If you don't like this from C.S. Lewis, you are never allowed to listen to one of my sermons ever again. <laughs> ever. Paraphrasing, trying to like make this simple so we can all digest this and get this. This is ooh, off the charts amazing. Romans 8, 18 through 22. Ready? For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I hear that childbirth is pretty rough. Wasn't really a response I was hoping to elicit. Look at this passage, really. So men biblically, men outside of the Bible, men in the Bible and outside of the Bible, women all through the centuries, they've yearned and longed and desired for the things of God with all their might and passion, right? Well, look at creation. <laughs> when sin came into the world, it was not only man that fell, and it's not only man that became broken, all of creation fell with it. <laughs> you mean to tell me, preacher, that creation is waiting and longing for a day of redemption, and I'm here to tell you this morning, yes. Every time you hear a tree creaking in the wind outside, scientists can tell me why wolves howl, but I think I really know because there is a longing. You see, all of creation remembers and understands. They know what it was like before the fall when they had that intimacy with God and they're longing and yearning to have that back again. Every single star that shines in the sky, the sun and the moon, every wave, every mountain, they're waiting for that day of redemption. And listen, I'm not done. You know who they're looking at? What does the text say? They're looking at the sons of God. They're watching us. And they're waiting. And this is what it's like. This is what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking that every time somebody comes to know who God is, every time somebody comes to get saved, all of creation is saying, is this the moment that the clouds will rip open and God will come back? Is this the day? Is this the time that we can experience real redemption? Oh, friends, this is the message of the Bible, and I don't think we hear enough about this. All of men through the ages, not of some men, I should say, creation waiting to be redeemed, groaning. So I told you, 
I have a question. And the question is this that haunts me. Why don't we desire God like this? Why are we so content? Why do we read those passages and say, you know what, I put those quotes up. Why do we read them and go, yeah, that's great for us, you know, some people. Some of those men through the ages, maybe they were special. Maybe that's something you can desire. No, friends, why are we so content? Why are so few of us in the church bothered that we don't know God the same way that they did? I'm not condemning you. I'm just asking. These are questions that I ask. When I read books, I love to read. When I read the Bible, that is a question that burns within my soul. And I want inside my, I ask myself, how come I'm so content? How come my soul is not troubled like this? How come I can't be like Habakkuk? No matter the circumstances, it doesn't matter. As long as I have God, I'm okay. Where is the fire? Where is the burning passion inside of the church? Good people across this country, across this world, but where is this kind of passion, I ask? Because that's what I want. Not just for me, but for you. Don't you tell me after this meeting that that is not possible. Don't you tell me this is only for a select few. City on a hill, community church, there is no reason that we can't know God on the same level that these people did. There is no way that you can tell me that God cannot put this desire in your heart and my heart for him. You can't tell me that. Why do we compartmentalize? Why do we put church over here? Sunday, church. Monday, work. I get home from work. It's family time. Why do we compartmentalize? Why are we separating all of our worlds? God doesn't want some of us. God doesn't want a part of us. God wants all of us. He's not looking for indifference. And I think we're hearing in this church, not just here, but everywhere, this is the time, this is the hour, you were born into the world for such a time as this to know him and to experience his power, to experience his love, to experience his grace. It is there for us. The feast is laid out. And he's looking for people now like Spurgeon. Who is ready to feast on me? You don't desire, I said it last week, the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world. Jonathan Edwards, I know some people would say, the sinner's in the hands of an angry God. I would say it's C.S. Lewis is the weight of glory. And what do I always say? That he says, talking about him, he says in that sermon, we don't desire enough. We're not strong enough in our desires. Filet mignon is on the menu and we're settling for spam. Really? That's in essence what we're doing. Our desires are not strong enough. The desire you have inside of you is innate. The desire to be a happy human being, as Blaise Pascal says, it is innate in all of us. It is infinite, but the infinite can only be filled with something that is infinite, and that is God. Stop looking to everything else in this world to fill what only God can fill. And I can't begin to tell you the angst or the, the agony that I am in as a preacher for myself, but I know it's for you that I want this so desperately that anything like the Apostle Paul, and I'm forgetting that is which is behind me, I'm pressing forward to that which God has for me and for you. 
friends, can you see it and feel it? I wish as a speaker I could articulate it, but I can't. I know there really will be a day that we'll look back and say, why did I get so caught up in all these other things that really aren't, they're inane? I told you last week about fantasy football. I'm not kidding. Looking at my brother, we were out last night celebrating my mom's birthday, and I looked over and I said, hey, John, I got to talk to you about something. <laughs> pretty serious. Because fantasy football was pretty serious. I said, I have to step away. I have to step away. I'm spending, even if I'm spending 45 minutes to an hour of my life in a day looking up fantasy football, does that have any significance for my life? Am I going to get to heaven one day? You, dream team, maybe my, my team, you won the 2000 Quinnipiac Fantasy Football League Championship. I've been waiting your whole life. I couldn't wait for this moment to tell you how great that was. And we were up here, all the angels, everybody was rejoicing that you won. And as Pastor Linda said so eloquently after I spoke, really, there's nothing wrong with things in this world. There's nothing, they, all, they have a place, and there should be things that we really enjoy. I'm not saying everything as we go home and we read our Bible and all we do is pray. That, that's not what I'm saying to you. I'm saying in the midst that if we really become, using John Piper's word, Christian hedonists, and we really learn how to feast on God, and we really understand that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, if we really get that on the inside of us, then we bring God into all of our worlds. But the problem is, as John Calvin said it, we, our heart is, is a factory of idols. We're all, why are we not, why are you sitting here going, you know what, I don't really, when is the sermon over? You know why you're maybe thinking that? One of the major reasons? Because you have idols just like me. This is the idol factory. It is. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to be cognizant of what we are up against. You want to have a nice house? That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. You want to fix that house up? There's nothing wrong with that. You want a nice car? Is there anything wrong with that? No. You want to have children that love the Lord and get educated and are smart? Is there anything wrong with that? No, there is nothing wrong with that. But when God puts something in our hand and picture your palm is open and that's what's there and it's open, if you have to, as time goes on, we clench our fist and we close our hand and if it becomes something that we cannot give up, it's an idol. What are those things in your life that are preventing you from experiencing God in this kind of way? What are those kinds of things? And you know what? Of course, I'm going to put a slide up to show you. Here are some examples. Where is my thing? These are some of the, you know, uh, Tim Keller in his, in his wonderful book, Counterfeit Gods, another book, throw on the list. It'll be a classic one day. He's the, he's the C.S. Lewis of our day. Some of these are from him. A couple I threw in there. Money. Maybe it's success. Achievement. That's something that I deal with. Maybe it's work. <laughs> Another one I deal with. A lot, of, a lot of idols in my heart. Attractiveness. I have to look a certain way. Is it a relationship that you have to have? Are you sitting in here? You know what? I'll be happy when... I find that person. I'll be happy when my marriage is, is this, or I'll, I'll be happy when this relationship goes in this direction. Is that something you're dealing with? Maybe that's an idol for you. How about even church? Is it something about showing people how much you know? Is it about coming to church and being all spiritual? That's who I am. Maybe that's an idol, and that is more insidious. We don't look at that, but that could definitely be an idol in our lives. How about pleasure? 
gratification. That's what leads ultimately to, we look at this world and we say, I don't really feel good. I feel, you know, I feel really bad. And then we turn to things looking for instant gratification and they develop into what? Addictions. What are the things, friends, that you are dealing with in your life that are preventing you from really knowing him in the same way these other people did? Let me tell you, you go through the Bible. Listen, go through the Bible. People, they just wanted him. They didn't want his gifts. They just wanted to know him. And the people, you know what? You look at the story, somebody like a Jeremiah. God says, all right, I'm going to give you a message and you're going to deliver it. Every time he delivers the message, he is stripped naked, beaten and thrown in a ditch. Wow, let me sign up for that one. That's a pretty good one. Isaiah, you're going to deliver a message, but guess what? Nobody's going to listen to you. Where do I sign? Right on the t- Are you kidding me? John the Baptist, he's in prison. Sends message to Jesus. Are you the one that we're looking for? Is there another? Are you the one, Jesus? And Jesus quotes only part of it, Isaiah 60, and he leaves off the last part. And it says the prisoners will be released. Sorry, John. You're going to die in prison. And they followed them. People followed him to their death because all they wanted was him. They didn't want anything else. And as we come to this table this morning, this is where idolatry can be broken. Right here. Because there is one that went to the cross for everything that you're dealing with. Friends, I'm telling you, he's worth it. This is what we were created for. This is it, to know him. Here are some questions I want you to think about as you come to this table and as you move through this week. Just some things relating to those, that list I put up. Which of those things from the previous slide do you find yourself thinking about the most? I said it last week. What are the things that you really dream about? Because that'll tell you what your idols are. Which one of those idols gives you a sense of identity? Which of those that I put up there, and I'll go back to that, which of those do you want most to be known for? Which one of these most causes your emotions to go up and down, makes you happy when you have lots of it, makes you sad when it's threatened? And then finally, which one of those would other people who know you really well say is your most likely idol? Friends, I don't know about you, but I'm coming to the place in my life that everything that is a distraction, I want to get rid of. I just want to know him. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. When he, you know when he says to live as Christ and to die as gain? The greatest enemy, really, of the enemy of the state. Can you imagine trying to deal with an Apostle Paul? We're going to kill him. To die as gain. Let's keep him alive. To live as Christ. What do you do with a guy like that? They stone him. All right, they throw him out to sea. Hey, where are we going? What ocean? What sea? I can't wait. Somebody that could be so unmoved by their circumstances. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for this church this morning. That's the message that God put on my heart. And as we take the elements, I want you to just be open and honest and transparent with him. That's be honest to God this morning. Don't lie. Talk to him about what's truly inside your heart. Friends, I will say it to the day I die. You can know God the way those men did. You can know God the way people in the Bible did. And he may not give you everything that you want because that's what's propagated out there on TV. I can't even watch most of these, the gospel as it's preached on TV. The health and wealth gospel. If you come to church, you'll get this, you'll get that. God does want us to be a people. We, we should be looking. If, if we're sick, we should be praying. The elders of the church should be anointing us with oil. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we should do those things. But when God is a means to an end, there's a problem. 
and much of the Christian literature that's out there, that's what's being espoused. That's what, that's what people are saying. That's not the real gospel. The real gospel is about knowing him and the fellowship of his suffering, that you may suffer in this world, but to know, to know that he will give us the power to move forward, that we will meet him and that we will grow. And that one day when we go to the other side, we can continue to know him. You know that longing, that longing you have? That is a gift too. I was talking to somebody last week. That longing that you have, that longing in your heart is a gift. It is, what a wonderful gift. At times, you know what, in my Christian walk, I get mad and I say, oh, I just want more of you. I want more of you. But it's a gift. And if that's not there, just pray for that. Lord, will you give me that desire? You give me that passion because I don't have it right now. Just be honest with him. Ushers. Christian walk. questions to think about and to pray about this week. Wednesday, we have soaking prayer at 6.45. Maybe bring some of those questions and bring them out and, and be prayed for on Wednesday night. If you've never been to a soaking prayer night, you really want to come this Wednesday. Uh, our music team is going to play that song, that new song they started this meeting with. That was wonderful. So stay. Feel free to stay and enjoy it and also stay and enjoy our birthday cake, coffee and cake. Get to meet some people that you don't know on your way out this morning. Have a great day.